This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. This morning we learned about another presumptive case of the novel coronavirus, this time in Ottawa. Still, the fear is growing a lot faster than the virus is spreading here in Canada, and the Chinese community is bearing the brunt of that. We're seeing everything from outright lies on social media claiming there are cases involving people who work at local businesses to people simply avoiding our Chinatowns in what they see as a precaution. There have been petitions from parents asking school boards to bar children whose families have recently been to Asia, prompting at least one school board in Ontario to issue a letter stating that it's concerned about xenophobia and racism against the Chinese community. Chinese communal organizations also getting in on this. They say there is already a lot of undue stigmatization. There are also a lot of legitimate questions about whether Canada is doing enough and is there more we should be doing. Other countries, for example, are evacuating their citizens from Wuhan. Currently, we're not doing that, even though over 100 Canadians stuck there have asked for assistance in getting out. And our airlines still have flights to mainland China. British Airways has stopped theirs. Uh, we've also seen Hong Kong barring um, a lot of visitors from mainland China. So what is the right response if you have questions, let me give you the numbers, 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. Right now, let's go to Dr. Matthew Miller, an associate professor with the Institute for Infectious Diseases Research at McMaster University, and Tony Louie, chair of the Chinatown Business Improvement Area. Gentlemen, thanks so much for being with us. Yeah, well, My pleasure. Okay, let's start with Dr. Miller. We just got an update from the World Health Organization. They are praising China for its response, and they also have a team that's going to be going there. Uh, what's your view of these developments? Uh, I think the WHO is absolutely right um, in their praise. This uh, is obviously a, a very, very difficult, very fluid situation. And I think that we've seen uh, really unprecedented transparency and access that's um, been provided by the Chinese government at this stage. Um, I think the evidence of that sort of at this stage speaks for itself, you know, Almost 100% of these cases um, statistically are, are in China. There have been, obviously, um, the odd case that's been identified in Canada and other countries, but there hasn't been extensive spread to this stage. And I think that that is in large part due to the sharing of information um, that happened early in the epidemic or the outbreak by China that has allowed other countries to put in place appropriate uh, identification and containment measures um, to help with, with any cases that do pop up outside of China. 
Tommy Louis, we have less than a handful of cases, yet uh, the Chinese community seems to already be bearing the brunt of this. What are some of the things that uh, your members are experiencing? Well, uh, basically, uh, so far, we have noticed a decline in business. Uh, the people in restaurants and on the street of Chinatown has uh, declined, and uh, people are very uh, concerned about uh, where to get the mask and, uh, you know, various uh, precautions that are necessary to, to avoid having contact. So I guess a lot of people are staying home as a result of that at the moment. Uh-huh. What about, uh, you know, some people have complained that there are, uh, you know, racist or borderline uh, racist reactions from people? Well, I think uh, to start, uh, one is a fear, one of the fear factor. A lot of people not knowing whether they're going to catch this virus and uh, they are knowing that the, the actual virus started from China. And so people are very concerned about a particular group, uh, such as the Chinese people, you know, uh, maybe they are a carrier and they, they, you know, they're very stressed out. A lot of people are worried about this because it's a matter of life and death. Uh, obviously, uh, right now, uh, we had uh, over 100 mark in terms of death in China. So I think people are just concerned because, uh, so therefore, uh, as you know, like a lot of things, people start pointing fingers out of fear and, and not knowing the whole facts. Dr. Matthew Miller, is it... Um clear or confirmed that this virus uh, is apparently related to SARS, but is a lot less deadly. Is, is that, can we call that a fact? So I think, I think that we can confidently say that this virus um, is related to SARS and that it belongs to the same family of viruses that SARS originated from. Um, there is, I think, some hesitancy among experts um, at this point in making really firm facts about the uh, mortality rate. Um, and the reason for that is because um, the mortality rate can change a lot early in epidemics. But as of now, the mortality rate certainly is lower. Um, when uh, the SARS outbreak occurred, the, the final reported mortality rate was around 11%, and the current mortality rate for this novel coronavirus outbreak is uh, about 2.4%. And that number has actually been dropping um, consistently over the last uh, days and weeks. Uh, and the reason for that is is somewhat self-evident um, in that the number of confirmed cases uh, that we identify early in an outbreak are from people who are sick enough to go to a hospital and get a diagnosis, obviously. People who may have the infection but have a very mild infection uh, that doesn't warrant hospitalization stay home and we don't identify them. And so as a result of that, there's a biasing towards the identification of severe cases early on, which can inflate the mortality rate. So it's, right now, um, it's very difficult to know what the real mortality rate is, but the reported mortality rate is already, you know, significantly lower than SARS, which I think is definitely encouraging. Uh Tony brought up masks. Our producer, Jeremy, said he was in the grocery store yesterday and almost everyone there was wearing a mask. How effective are masks? And we've also learned that a lot of people don't wear them properly anyway. Right. So I think that the scientific data 
would say that wearing the mask that you typically see people wear, those sort of blue and white surgical masks, um, the same type that they give out in, in emergency waiting rooms, for example, or clinic waiting rooms, are ineffective at preventing um, illness. They can be effective if worn by people who think they're sick. So basically, these masks are useful to be worn by people who are sick and want to prevent themselves from spreading the virus. But there's not good scientific data to suggest that wearing a mask is actually, one of these masks is actually an effective way to prevent you from becoming sick. It's much, much better to practice, you know, the normal good infection control measures um, that public health encourages people to practice during cold and flu season anyway, like, you know, regular hand washing, avoid, you know, touching your face and mouth with your hands. Um, those are all things that are effective. The masks that are worn by healthcare workers in hospitals are much different in the infection control setting than these um, surgical masks that are sort of widely available at grocery stores and things like that and pharmacies. Um, uh, so, so that's an important point, I think. Tony Louis, uh, can you remind us a bit about what happened with SARS? I, I know a lot of people in the community are, are worried because of what happened during the, the SARS epidemic and how it affected the Chinese community. Well, I think we are having a similar uh, reaction. Uh, the, the numbers are down. People are staying home and businesses suffered. And during the SARS uh, period, I think we had a loss of 50% of the businesses, in, uh, particularly in restaurants. And uh, right now, I think we're looking at about 20% uh, decline in business. Uh, so it's quite similar. Uh, I think the fear is still the same. The fear is still the same. What about, I've, I've read about people complaining that uh, other people seem to, lumping all Chinese people in, in together, you know, whether they've been to China or not, whether they even come from there or not, and and like, like a fear avoidance factor. Are you finding that? Well, obviously, because uh, that's where it originated, and anybody who, who is, of course, of Chinese descent, well, perhaps it has a greater probability of contacting that virus as opposed to someone who's not from China. So uh, it is, you know, normal for people to think that way because uh, it is where it's originated, right? Okay, so you don't have a... And there are also some issues with the school boards calling for anyone whose family uh, was in China recently to be quarantined. And uh, a lot of parents are worried about how their children are being treated. Oh, again, the same thing uh, it holds true because it, it is coming from China and therefore anyone who is... To, you know, uh, Chinese uh, would, would probably have a higher probability of being a carrier. Uh, so that fear really is, uh, is, is in some way, it is, 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 you know, valid in a way. But um, I don't know whether they should follow the um, <clears throat> health professional's advice as to, uh, to the fact that the chance of contacting it is still very low. Okay. Uh, Dr. Matthew Miller... Uh, we've also seen a case in BC. Are you expecting these numbers to grow a lot? Um, I, I think it's very hard to predict. I think that um, I would echo, uh, you know, Dr. Tam's 
statements over the last few days and saying that it's not, I don't think it's surprising to anyone that we're seeing uh, more cases pop up, especially uh, in and around major um, airports and cities that have large populations. I think that the, the advice that the risk to Canadians remains extremely low uh, is still um, good advice in the moment because so long as the cases that we are identifying are isolated to travelers, it means that the detection and quarantine um, measures that are in place uh, are working well. Those those kinds of cases are inevitable. What we'll have to keep a close eye on, I think, is whether we start to see cases pop up in communities um, from people who haven't traveled and haven't been in obvious contact with those who have traveled to uh, the epicenter of the outbreak in China. Uh, we haven't seen that yet. And so I think that's very encouraging. Have we, have you nailed down the incubation period? So, again, the incubation period is a little bit uncertain, um, again, simply because the virus was just isolated in Australia. And so um, that kind of data is difficult to ascertain because what it requires is knowing exactly when a person was exposed versus when they started to experience symptoms. The CDC issued um, a statement estimating that the incubation period may be somewhere between two and 10 days. So I think that's the best estimate so far, but there is still certainly some, um, some uncertainty around uh, the, the true incubation period. Well, that's a pretty big spread. Um, won't that really affect how people are dealing with it? What the real incubation period is? I think the incubation period, uh, even in and of itself, is partially important. What's really critical, more so than the incubation period, is, is getting a handle on whether or not people are able to spread the virus when they're asymptomatic. This has been an issue that that um, has been in the press lately. Uh, there have been some isolated reports that are suggesting that this might be possible, but that's what we, we really need to know. We need to understand with, with certainty whether or not asymptomatic spread is possible, and we need to couple that with an understanding of what the incubation period is so that we know how long it's possible for an asymptomatic person to be spreading the virus. And and can you explain why that's so important? Yeah, I mean, it's important because our infection control measures for a virus like this novel coronavirus, uh, against which we don't have a vaccine or a drug, um, really rely on our ability to identify and isolate cases uh, in order to prevent spread. And obviously, if, if identification uh, relies on people having symptoms, and so if uh, a person can spread the virus before they have symptoms, you know, that, that is a whole... Um, in, in the way that the system is designed to help control spread. Uh- Tony, um, we've been talking about the reaction of other communities. Uh, what about the reaction to this inside the Chinese community? Well, I think they are obviously very much concerned as well, uh, mainly because no one wants to catch the virus, and uh, it's a matter of health. 
so people are very, very concerned, uh, even within the Chinese community at the, at the present time. Yes. And so what are they doing? Well, they tend to stay away. They like to uh, stay home uh, a lot. And uh, if there's no need to go out, uh, they tend to stay home and um, stay away from public places. And um, at the moment, that, that's I think that's what they're doing. And and what is your message to people who are doing that? Well, I think that uh, if you're really afraid of doing uh, going out, then stay home. But if you're not, uh, knowing that at the moment, the chance of catching the virus is still very low, uh, I think life should go on as usual. Yeah, okay, that's always uh, good advice. Let's take a call from Bob in Tobacco. Okay, one I'm I, I've been watching this on this virus, and then I I took I'm looking for statistics, and they don't give you any. They don't tell you what the survival or death rate is. So I just went on Google and I checked it out, and it said we just talked about the that, death the, uh... rate with SARS was ten percent, and the apparent death rate in this one, the coronavirus, is only two. Where the death rate of uh, in Canada for people who are hospitalized for flu is 25 percent. Uh, yeah, it's not we... really as bad as it was. Like, for example, if I had elderly people living with me and they were subject to possibly the flu, I would be concerned about getting you know, catching it and bring it home. But other than that, I don't think it's much to worry about. And I think it's way overblown because of the fact that the survival rate is pretty damn good. And I don't think it lasts all that long. And I wish Bob, that they would... Bob, can you hear me? Out. Bob, can you hear me? You obviously missed the top of the show where we were discussing that. Okay. The, uh, the, and our guest, Dr. Miller, was saying that it's pretty hard to nail down what the death rate is, but at the moment it's 2%. Uh, Dr. Miller, do you want to add anything for Bob? No, I I actually think, um, I'm actually sort of heartened by Bob's point in some ways. He makes uh, what I think is a really important point, which is that context is, is very, very important. So flu causes hundreds of millions of infections every year and maybe three to five million deaths globally. Right now, and that's every year just from seasonal flu. Right now, we've seen a little bit over 100 deaths and a total of 6,000 cases. And so, um, you know, people should be much, much more worried in Canada about getting infected with influenza than they should uh, getting infected with this novel coronavirus at this point. So it is important when these outbreaks happen to sort of contextualize them in the context of, of something that we know about and are familiar with. And certainly in this moment, there's a vastly higher risk of someone contracting and dying from flu in Canada than there is from them contracting and dying from this new coronavirus. Uh, Tony is... Uh is is that um, kind of understood inside the Chinese community, or do you have a case where where people here are more worried about the coronavirus than the regular flu? Yes, I think uh, it is true. Uh, many people die from influenza as opposed to uh, the new virus. Um, I think people all know that, and uh, incidentally, uh, people knowing that influenza is such a dangerous thing, and yet they still don't take a flu shot. So I don't know where the fear is going to come uh, continuously on something that uh, has such a low mortality rate. So I think maybe sooner or later people are going to calm down a bit. Uh, um, is that a message that you're trying to get out uh, to your community? Yes, of course. 
Okay. Uh, Dr. Miller, uh, what are you trying to tell people? We keep getting updated, but uh, from your point of view, what is the most difficult public health message to get out there? Well, I think... I think that it, you know the public obviously is 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 always rightly concerned when an outbreak like this happens, and and it's understandable that people you know worry worry about their health, especially in situations of uncertainty. I think one of the difficult public health messages, um, and and it's one that you know people don't like to hear, but it's the unfortunate reality is that the situation is still very fluid, and public health officials are making the best decisions they can with the information they can uh, at the moment, and when that information changes, the response may also change. Certainly in this moment in Canada, there is absolutely no need for panic. There are very, very few cases um, right, we're a country of you know 25 million people, and there are four isolated incidents so far. You know, it's a, it's not even a fraction of a percentage of the population. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't remain vigilant, but I certainly don't think that the scale of infections in Canada in this moment warrants any change in the behavior of people in their day-to-day lives. Okay, let's take a call from Ron in Georgina. Hi, Ron. Hi, Dr. Libby. I just wanted to know uh, from the doctor, like I've had the pneumonia shot and I've had the, uh, the high-dose flu shot. Will that help in any way or what? So um, this uh, virus is, is different from the virus that causes uh, flu and from the bacteria that causes pneumonia um, against which you've been immunized. And so those shots won't directly protect you from getting infected from this virus if the infection were to spread. However, uh, viral infections like the ones caused by coronavirus can make you more susceptible once you've been infected, to getting a pneumonia, and your shot would protect you from that. So it's possible that the pneumonia vaccination that you received could protect you from complications associated with an infection caused by a coronavirus, for example. Oh, that's interesting. I I didn't know that. Uh, I just this uh, minute received a new statement from Eileen Davila, who is the Medical Officer of Health. And I'm just going to read a part of it and uh, let you react. So it says, inaccurate information continues to spread, and this is creating unnecessary stigma against members of our community. I am deeply concerned and find it disappointing this is happening. Discrimination is not acceptable, it's not helpful, and spreading misinformation does not offer anyone protection. I understand that where there are uncertainties, people may worry. I want to remind people to check credible evidence-based sources. Also, uh, there is a hotline that they're setting up where people can get information. I will give those numbers out at the end of the segment. So audience, if you want to get a pencil, uh, Tony, what's your reaction to this statement from the medical? I think this is excellent. Uh, I think that people's fear should be uh, subsided, uh, knowing even though it's coming from China, but we should not stigmatize the Chinese community as a result of that. Uh, anything else you want to say to comment on that? Well, I think basically, I think we have to wait for more medical facts and then see the outcome of it and uh, see whether the uh, numbers of uh, people who are uh, contacting it in Canada has actually increased. Okay. And Dr. Matthew Miller, what's your reaction to that? 
Uh, I, I think it's it's uh, an a- excellent statement. I mean, the reality is that although this virus uh, originated in China, the fraction of the Canadian Chinese population that would have traveled to China um, in the context of this outbreak is extremely minimal. Uh, in addition, because the outbreak was identified so early, um, containment measures have been in place at our major airports for some time now. Uh, and there's because um, this has been popularized so much in the news, I think that people who have traveled recently are extremely aware of what symptoms they should be looking for um, and, uh, and, and are thus, you know, informed enough to seek care uh, if they experience any of those symptoms uh, in the proximity of time after which they've returned from travel to China. British Airways has stopped all flights to mainland China. Is that a measure that uh, either of you think we should be undertaking here? So my feeling is that um, it's perhaps premature. I think that um, there's already been very, very aggressive quarantine and containment efforts uh, made in China itself in areas where there are uh, a lot of cases. But again, I think I think context is really important here, right? There are right now 6,000 confirmed cases, you know, maybe 6,500 confirmed cases, um, most of which are in China. Uh, those numbers have continued to rise, and that, again, certainly warrants vigilance and close monitoring. But there are 1.3 billion people in China. So, again, when you do the math, we're talking about not even a fraction of a percentage of the total population. I think that um, countries and airlines should really be looking to the World Health Organization as well as health authorities in their own countries for guidance about um, restricting, restricting travel at this stage. And, Tony, are there any other measures like that that you would like to see? Oh, I don't think at the moment it's, 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 it's premature to, to uh, stop all flights to China, uh, uh, given the uh, statistic is so low and that uh, the, the rate of contacting it is such a low level that uh, I think people should not worry about traveling to China. And is there anything else you'd like to leave us with, Tony? Oh, I think uh, be safe and be happy and we wish everybody a happy Chinese New Year. Okay. Gang Hei Fa Choi and Dr. Yeah, Matthew Fa Miller, Choi. what would you like to leave us with? Yeah, I think I think again the message is um, that there's no need for uh, a high level of concern at this moment for people in Canada. Um, the situation that we're currently experiencing is vastly different uh, from the SARS outbreak in terms of the amount of information we're getting quickly and our ability to both identify and rapidly diagnose new cases. Um, Updates are being provided, you know, almost in real time. And so if the situation changes uh, to an extent that warrants changes in people behavior, changes in people's day-to-day behavior, I think they can rest assured that Canadian health authorities will be providing those updates, you know, up to the minute. And so at this point, um, that people shouldn't be concerned and shouldn't be changing their daily habits. Okay. Thank you both, Dr. Matthew Miller and Tony Louie. Appreciate your time. My pleasure. You're very welcome. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one.
You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.